0: Okay, so I want the title of this message is, I think, From Battle to Battle. I heard this guy preach and he said made this statement. I don't know who to uh, credit for this saying. He says, lose sweat in practice and you won't lose blood in battle. I like that one. Lose sweat in practice and you won't lose blood in battle. Most of us don't realize what we are standing against a very real and actual enemy called uh, Satan. So if you're not aware of this, there is, there is Jesus himself says and confirms this, that he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And we have uh, the book of Genesis, which I love the book of Genesis. And it starts off with the story of creation, the beginning God, in the beginning. So it starts off with the, in the beginning God. and And, and so this gives us, in a very few sentences, uh, the creation of the universe. I mean, you can't encapsulate. That's why when you do studies and you do an assignment for a master's or something, a thesis, the the page is 70 uh, 70 to 120 pages long just to drill down into one topic. Why this? Now we have creation, all of creation, and they take two verses to explain that. So we can't, put in that two verses, how it happened, why it happened, when it happened, how many minutes it took, it's two sentences in the beginning, God created the heavens, but it takes, it's not very far into Genesis that we get to chapter number three, and in the garden, there was a serpent, Genesis chapter three, verse one, you can put it on the screen, and I think it says, um, there was just these words, any moment, now the serpent was more cunning there was a serpent. It's chapter 3 of Genesis. Now there was a serpent. Everything was fine. Adam and Eve was doing their thing. Walking up and down the garden. Obedient. Disciplined. Saw God for who he was. He, they could actually physically see God. They were walking in the presence of God in the garden of Eden. They had capacity. They had abilities. They were. It was bliss. Until chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent. Now the serpent. I think in many of our stories, we have these hopes and these dreams of what we'll be and where we'll end up. It's not very long into our life stories that these words from Genesis 3 echo into our world. Now the serpent. It doesn't say the serpent was aggressive. It doesn't say the serpent was dangerous. It says the serpent was cunning. Cunning is a very difficult word to really apply to our lives. What does it mean when, it, when we say he is cunning? It's not, it's not that he was just smart or he is intelligent. He was cunning. He was deceptive by nature and he could mislead you very easily. He was cunning. He was cunning. He doesn't need to be aggressive because he's cunning. And his base and his foundation and his essence is in his heart. He was corrupted. And he became evil personified. He was Lucifer. This Lucifer, this Satan, this serpent was the serpent who was cunning. I wonder how many of us are misled by the serpent so easily. How many of us miss the potential that God put in us because of the serpent. Now the serpent, now the serpent was there and he begins to wreak havoc on God's creation, Adam and Eve, the only two human beings. That's a pretty good strike rate. It's hundred percent strike rate for his first attempt. I mean, he, he takes out the first two human beings. If there was a hundred, he could get two to fall. I would say you have a chance. But this is proof in the pudding. That even though, because Adam and Eve saw what you have still yet to see. You've experienced the grace of God and you are brought closer than Adam and Eve was. And you are walking in the fulfillment of the promise where J- Jesus says, I will put an enmity between your seed and, my, and her seed. You are the fruit of that promise in the fact that you are saved. I understand that. But they saw God and yet the cunningness of that serpent could confuse them. I'm concerned because if we're, we're living a life that is so messed up. I mean, you haven't seen all the countries in the world. Have you heard all the languages of the world, sat down with all the philosophers and philosophies and heard all the theories, studied sciences and all of that to get to a solid answer as to why you believe what you believe. And yet we feel so convinced about our convictions. I think the serpent can't mess with you. There's a devil out there. Your enemy is very real. And his aim is to not just hurt you, but to kill you, to take you out. We're not shadow boxing. We're not pretending that we're in a fight. We're in an actual fight, realize it or not. You're an actual, you're in an actual fight and your fight is not to get a raise. Your fight is not to get a job or be employed. Your fight is not even to meet a husband or to stay married. Your fight is got eternity in the balance. Your fight is, do you know God and is he your savior? And will you close your life as you end this reality and step into the reality of eternity, knowing him or not knowing him? Would you be the one that he says you have run your race? Well done, good and faithful servant. This is a a battle for eternity. And in this thing, we, we think that the devil, some there are actually people I've heard in my youth ministry days that wanted to pray for the devil, asking, Can God forgive the devil? Can he be restored? Will the demons one day come to repentance? There, there is no way that of all the created beings, Lucifer is completely lost and forever lost. There is no saving Lucifer, there is no being. Um, kind or merciful towards him. He is completely lost. He is completely in darkness. He is completely cut off from God. There is no restoration to show him no mercy. He says, even if the angel of light comes to you with a different gospel than this, let him be accursed. How much more should we understand that there is a devil out there? Now, if that is the nature and the character of the devil, he doesn't pause. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a break. It's not Kit Kat. Take a break. Do you still remember that? Am I told? Kit Cat, take a break. He doesn't rest, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't stop. His attempts and 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 it's not just Lucifer, he has all the demons that fell with him, that's where his demons come from, is those that he, t- he says the tale of the, the dragon slew a third of the stars, and we know stars speak in biblical terms of angels, and a third of the angels choose the devil. Don't think that if a third of the angels in heaven chose him that you can just stand against this cunningness. Your protection is not your intelligence. Your protection is not your feelings or emotions or even opinions. Your protection is not your discernment. Your protection, you are completely and utterly vulnerable when you come face to face with this enemy that wants to take you out. If he wants to take you out, you have almost no means to protect yourself except for the blood of Jesus Christ. Your IQ, your ability to reason, your family pedigree, none of that offers any protection. If a third of the stars was convinced by him that he is a better choice than the creator, you stand no chance. How, do you, how, how can I say that? Have, have you ever cried because you bumped your leg when you were a child? If you haven't, maybe that's where the problem started. If you can't handle that, how would you handle, how would you be so emotionally strong that you can stand? The point is there is an enemy. And as the serpent made his way into the story of the Bible in chapter three already, the serpent is, is working his thing across this planet. And we don't read too much of and acknowledging the person of Satan in the Old Testament, but we get to read more about him and understand how he works and operates in the New Testament. Be it as it may, our lives. Then he says in John chapter ten verse ten, and the thief comes not only uh, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but he Jesus he comes to give life and life more abundantly. The the thief comes for nothing else but to kill, steal, and to destroy. His plan in your life is to kill you, to steal from you, to destroy you. And that he works with anything that breathes because you represent God, you are made in his image and he cannot touch God, but he can touch you. So I want to tell you how to deal with these problems and what to expect in life. We are working this last two weeks on the, the theme of breakthrough. How do you get from where you are to where you ought to be and understand that that's a fight. You are not going to be young people. You have to listen to me now. If I were to have heart surgery, I wouldn't go to a student doctor. I would go to somebody that's got like 10 or 15 years experience and still enjoys his job. Just saying. So I'm not gonna get advice from my colleague about heart surgery, because he read YouTube. Or, or went on ChatGPT. We're all doctors now, aren't we? You can just Google your symptoms. And ChatGPT will be like, oh, you're dead, man. So the fight for a breakthrough, if you, if you are sitting in this, well, you are sitting in this room, pay attention because I want to tell you right now, it doesn't matter how young you are, how smart you are, nothing that is good and success, uh, successful and meaningful in life is going to come from you coasting through life. Even if you inherit wealth from your parents, it's not going to be easy. Nothing worth mentioning or carries any substance is easy. There is always a fight involved in it. And I want to tell you the reason for that is because God is after your character. God is after your heart. He really, really wants your heart to be for Him. That's why the Bible says, in that day we shall say, Lord, Lord, and He shall say, go away from me. I don't know you. And we shall say, but I did, I prophesied in your name. I prayed, uh, I cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick in your name. And He shall say, go away from me. I don't know you. It's because God is not after your your, your, your display of religiosity is after your heart. You confess with your lips, but your hearts are far from him. He is after your heart, your character, your inner person. If that is surrendered to him, because that's what costs the price. If you look at the stories of David and Saul in the Bible, you need to know your Bible and you need to know the stories of the Bible. If you look at David and Saul, David was a much worse person than Saul. In terms of sin, what did Saul do? Saul didn't have multiple wives that I know of. Solomon had a thousand wives, I think 700 or something, and a couple of concubines. What is a concubine? I don't know. Saul didn't do all these things that David, Saul, we don't read that Saul had a man killed because he wanted his wife. We don't read, David did far worse things than that, but David's heart belonged to God. Saul's didn't. And so we, we have to jump into the story and figure out how, what it's going to cost for you to get to where you need to be. What will it take for you to get? And so what I can tell you right now, life is lived in battles. Life is lived in battles. That doesn't sound like it. It sounds very dramatic. And it sounds like we just, no, grace. No, with grace, you survive the battles. Without grace, you die in battle. It's because of grace that you have the ability to endure the fights of life. And in these fights, God uses it to produce character within you. God brings out of you something that he could look at and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It is God working something in you. So I wanted to look at the life of David. but This is how God works. We can jump first to Deuteronomy chapter number 7. And this is how God gives the promise to, to you have uh, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, what's next? Leviticus, Numbers and Leviticus, which first? Numbers, Leviticus, I think something like that. Deuteronomy, I think is third, is it right? But you have Genesis, Exodus, is Exodus second? I'm just double checking my facts. This is how I fact check myself <laughs> with you, YouTube brain people. It's not in this room, I'm just playing. So we have... Deuteronomy chapter number seven. And here God has already taken the people out of Egypt and Egypt speaks, of, speaks spiritually of your old life. God is taking you out of your old life. The promised land overflowing with milk and honey. It's, it's the new life in Christ Jesus and eternity hereafter. So promised land overflowing with milk and honey is not you finally having a coffee shop. And finally Jesus gave you a business. And that's not the land of milk and honey. You may sell milk and honey, but that's not the land of it. And so, so Jesus, uh, God had already led the people out. So we get to Deuteronomy chapter number 7, 22. The Lord your God, now are, the land that God is giving them is, is occupied. I don't have their names here. And all of those names mean something. And they, these speak of demonic entities that occupies in your world where God is taking you to, but you can't get there because there is something keeping you out of what God has for you. So we're in Deuteronomy. So he says, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. I read this to you so that you would hear these two words. Little by little. We don't get saved and next Monday, we're just super holy, sanctified, set apart, anointed and winning the world for Jesus. You don't, you don't get to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, although you are a child of God. You don't go home. Monday morning, you wake up and all your problems have disappeared. Jesus, not Jesus, I keep, keep saying Jesus in the Old Testament, but God gets Moses. Moses goes to the hell and high water. He leads the stubborn uh, Israelites out of Egypt. He leads them out of Egypt. They celebrate, happy, happy. He gets to the red sea. Now they're standing in front of the red sea. They go like, Moses, come do a miracle. I mean, you just took us out of Egypt. Now we're in front. So their first experience is that it's not going to be easy. He says, I will drive out these nations in front of you little by little, not at one moment. So from this verse, I want to tell you that there is no such thing as a get rich quick scheme. Every I've been approached my entire life so many times by this is how you make money quickly. I'm glad by the grace of God, it did not happen, happen overnight. Everything that I've achieved has taken many, many years. There's the saying overnight success took a lifetime. There is no such thing as a get rich scheme, a get rich quick scheme, especially if you serve Jesus. You selling crypto things is not, there's no such thing. There's no shortcut. Your marriage is not healthy because you're good looking. Let me tell you right now, that's not going to help your marriage. It helps. It helps if you eat less sandwich. It helps. But that's not where a healthy marriage comes from. It comes from a hell of a lot of work that has to go in, in the dark side where nobody sees, in the night watches, in the, the, the corners of your house, in the privacy of your, your private discussions. That's where the work goes into a public marriage that looks healthy. You don't get it. Oh, so Jesus, God says to them, I will drive out these nations in front of you, little by little, if you were to climb, the reason we put three steps in here is because when I just started CrossFit and I I'm going to keep on using that example. Even if you question the truthfulness of that statement, I am a CrossFitter. Maybe not a good one, but I'm already in the veterans league. You understand, but they were doing box jumps and we had a platform at our previous church. And the platform was just about this height and we could do, we would see who could jump the highest from a standstill position. And it was just before I went to the United States and I stood at the front and I said, I want to try this thing. And I jumped on there and I, my legs slipped. and we had a, 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 angle iron covering the corner. So it was extra sharp and my legs slipped and I cut my leg open and I said, I'm fine and I'm fine because there's girls in the room and I don't want to cry in front of them <laughs> and I, and I sat down. And I put my finger in the hole (laughs) and I said to Chanel, Oh, (laughs) I went, I got stitches. I got, I went, I got stitches. They stitched me up, flew to the United States. I was supposed to preach on this, on the set Sunday. So the Saturday afternoon, I took the stitches out myself. I thought it was healed. There was nothing was healed. Anything there was nothing was healed. So I had to go to an American hospital and they had to scrub the thing. They scrub it clean. To get it, this is unhealthy. And I had to preach with that leg. So the reason you don't have ladders that has steps that this far apart is because you'll never get to the top before you're dead. You'll die before you get there. We don't have this platform this high because for me to get up to this platform, we have to break it down into steps. And I climb up here little by little. And if God were to do major things in your life overnight, your character is in my my mind. I was already on when I jumped. But physically, I was not. In your mind, you may think that you are ready. But in character and in heart, you are not. And if God gives you things that you are not ready for, you are not able to handle it. That's why God takes you little by little into where he wants you to be. And we don't like it, so we rush the process. God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And this child, I'll put the promise that is on you, on this child. Isaac, you know of it. He couldn't wait for God. So he had Ishmael. The world is filled with Abraham's issue in Ishmael. Because he couldn't wait for God. One of the gifts of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is long suffering. We like to translate and say suffer long, but it's not, not really like that. It's to be patient for God's and, and wait for God's timing and things for you to be patient and wait. God says to them, I'm going to drive them out, but I'll drive them out little by little. Now I've used this example too much, but do you actually, can you see your nails grow? Can you see it grow? You can't, but does it grow? And even though you feel like nothing is changing in your life, some things are changing unless you've given up and you've already decided this is where I'm stuck at. But if you're reaching out for more, God is busy working in you step by step. When God took them out of Egypt, Now you have this people that has got this mindset. I'm getting to David. I'm going to rush. I've got 12 minutes left. And then we're going to pray for people. We'll see. In Exodus 13, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them out on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. Watch this. This 13, Exodus 13, verses 17. Exodus chapter number 13, verses 17. Then it came to pass. I'm putting so much pressure on those guys. Fastest fingers at the back. Love you. Jesus loves you. Stay saved. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Uh, NIV says, although it was shorter, a shorter. God didn't take a shortcut. Here's why. Lest perhaps the people change their minds. Next verse. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea, the Israelites went up uh, out of Egypt, ready for battle. So let me read it from my NIV. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them uh, on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter for God said, put it on the NIV. They need to see it on the NIV. We got it there because I was confused now. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter for God said, if they face war, They might change their minds and return to Egypt. They were going to face a battle they are not ready for. Sometimes you you're 18 and you think you're ready for marriage. There's a better example. A teenage body can have a child, but a teenage body cannot look after the child. Your mind is not ready for it. If God took them through out of Egypt from one thing, they were there seeing all the plagues, all the fighting. And now he takes them through Philistine country. You know, Philistines, those Philistines, they like fighting. All they want to do is fight, 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 fight. And the Egyptians, all, uh, the Israelites, all they have on their mind is the meat pots in Egypt. Their mindset is, Because that's what they told Moses. Take us back there. We missed the meat pots. They don't have on their mind, and then Jitsu moves. They're not, they don't have on their mind, how, how do I sharpen this knife? They have on their mind, how can I go eat? I'm hungry. Like a properly spoiled child used to being useless. They're not ready for the fight because the fight, the, the verse, just put it up there. Watch this. It says, if they, for God said, if they face war, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. Because they're going to look at those guys and the Philistines has been doing this for a lifetime. It's going to stand there with their unsheathed, sheathed, sheathed knives, swords. And this guy's going to look at them with his belly and go, ooh, ooh, no. I'm going to die. I would rather go back. They were not ready because they don't know what they're fighting for. They don't know what they're going to get. They don't understand the value of their promise. And so they said, no, so God takes them the long way. They travel a long way around. It ended up being a 40 year long way, walking around the same area because their minds could not change from where they were. So it took a long time. So now we get to a place where they're out and uh, we're in. The story of David, David gets born. David is there, his dad sends him to, first you have Saul. Saul is a a head and shoulder guy. He stands up head and shoulders above the rest. He's the tallest of the group. If we were all to stand up, he would be the guy that stands up in this room. If Saul were to walk in, we would notice him. That's how much he stood up, uh, would stand out in a room like this. Saul was that kind of guy. He is from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is the guys who know how to fight. He's the guy. So they were trained now. They know how to fight. And if he was in this room, he would stand up. So he gets anointed king, but he to himself doesn't put God first. He puts himself first in his first victory. He builds a statue to himself. Is that after his first victory? I don't know, but he builds a statue of himself and he wants to please the people. And it's important to him what the people says about him. And God has an issue with it, with that. But David is sitting under a tree and he fights a lion and a bear. He has no audience for that. And David's life is marked with battles. The first thing he fights, no one sees. No one sees. A lion and a bear. No one sees that. Saul is the, is, 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 is the we have the two characters, we have Saul and David. Saul stands up in the crowd. His dad is, is influential. His dad sends him to go find the dog. Good family structure, nothing wrong with that. He stands out in the crowd, but David is in hiding. And all he does is his dad says to him, he's got these, I think, six or seven other brothers and he, his dad doesn't choose him. His dad sends him, he's the youngest, go look after the sheep. And while he's sitting with the sheep, a lion and a bear comes. And he, the only thing he has able to do is sing songs with his guitar. He's playing with a harp under a tree that some of his songs, uh, Psalms, I think about 73 of the 150 Psalms was written by King David. Some of these Psalms was written when he was 14 or younger, or younger. I'm 23 now. I've written nothing that's worth printing in any book. Not even to mention the David at at 14 or younger wrote, possibly wrote some of these Psalms at that age. Where did he write it? In his father's house. He was under a tree. The harp he was practicing under a tree where no one saw him got him so skilled that he could play it in the King's court and here a lion runs towards him. I mean, if a lion runs towards you, what do you do, just die. You just, all you do, you don't do much. You just die. You just die. If you die fast, it's better. So you die while the lion is approaching from a heart attack. That's easier. You don't feel as much pain. It's just you uh, do it. He does, and he refuses to, and he punches the lion, and he gets upset with the lion not refusing to die. So he punches him until he kills him. He says if the lion would not just submit, he would just grab him by the beard and strike him till he's dead. And so he grabs a bear, and he kills the bear. And so, so David, at a young age, I think was 17 years old when he was anointed king. So he, was, he had to be about 16 when he had his first battle, dealing with issues. What are you battling that no one is seeing? What are you dealing with that your parents may, may not even know about? What are you dealing with that your friends don't know about? You may be young in marriage. What are you dealing with in your marriage that you can't tell your dad because your dad will kill your husband? What are you struggling with that you are not getting a victory over that you're battling, you saying to yourself, it's full of a fight from dach to dach. All I'm doing is fighting and nothing is moving, not realizing that God is busy dealing with you little by little. What is God busy fixing in you little by little? What that fight may seem insignificant to you is God setting you up in that fight to fight something that's really a problem. And so David's third fight is dealing with the Philistine. The Philistines are the reason that God couldn't take them from Egypt into the promised land in a straight shortcut short path. The Philistines are the reason that God had to take them around the long way. And you would think the long way is six months, but the long way is all the way through, all the way through, until he gets to his champion, David. And so out of the Israelites, God gets a guy called David. This David knows how to deal with bears and lions. And so this Philistines, the same Philistines that caused God's people to take the long route is now standing on the opposite side of a mountain, facing a David. David slightly tilts his head like this, all aggressive, touches his nose like a proper fighter, looks at this giant and David anointed to be king. Doesn't just become king. I mean, the prophet told him you're going to be a king. And what he does is he fights. When God tells you, I'm going to do this in your life, prepare for fights. Because there is something occupying that place that God promises you. There is something that you have to deal with that is currently where you ought to be. What is keeping you out of your responsibility in the kingdom of God? What is keeping you away from the place where God can speak to you? What is convincing you that you don't have the time To study God's word. You don't have the time to hear from God. You don't have the time to to care for people now. You have to focus on your career. Not knowing that that career is you avoiding the lion and the bear. And David stood there. And all he could see is this giant. He takes out these five small smooth stones. And he takes the first of the five. And he deals and he strikes the giant. And the giant falls. And most of us would say, hurrah fights over. He takes the knife of this giant and he cuts the head of this giant and he walks around with his head and he has a victory. And most of us think that's when you get your job, or when you get through your wedding or when, whatever you would equate with this national cataclysmic event that sets on the course, the whole nation of Israel. And this backstory, we liken, we pass the trick to David killing a giant. Okay. That's a little bit rough and a stretch, but nevertheless, let's do that. And David cuts his head off, and he walks with his head. And you would think that David has now, I mean, he's secured the hand of Saul's daughter in marriage. He can marry now into the king's family. You would think his life is set. But after that moment, what happens is he becomes the commander of God's armies. This is in chapter 22. You can read from there onwards. And as he does that, he plays the harp. Uh, They begin to sing songs, and they sing, Saul has slain his thousand. But David has slain his ten thousands, and it sounds all cool because David's finally gotten what he worked for. I mean, he did kill the giant. The four stones he had left. Why would God let him pick up five stones and mention it in the Bible? Some say it's the fivefold ministry that makes a hand to punch. But we also read that there are more giants. The five stones may speak significantly. Also, that this was the first battle of many. And the four stones left speaks of battles that he'll have to continue to fight before he becomes king. And Now what happens is he's sitting in the palace and the king Saul hears that. And an evil spirit comes upon him and he's playing the harp. And, the evil sp- and king Saul, who, is, who speaks significant, uh, symbolically of being his spiritual father, takes a spear. He sits there and the more he hears and his mind, replays the songs they sing. He's looking at David, he's looking at the spear. And David's playing the harp. And he sees, he sees, the other week Saul was fine. I mean, he's his father-in-law. It was fine. But now he's sitting there playing this harp. He's playing a, a ristach melody. A ristach. A ristach spiel. And now he looks at King Saul and he sees sweat dropping down King Saul's head. And he's looking at this and he's going like, what? And King Saul's gripping that spear and his hand is, is looking at him. And David's, and the music's going faster. David's looking at him. Saul is looking at him. And David's and he's gripping that spear. And David's playing the harp. And this Benjamin takes the spear and he slings at him. The spear and he ducks. The Bible says he ducks. Because if you don't duck, sometimes you die. I have a word for you. Duck. Sometimes you have to duck. And he ducks. And he looks and the spear goes into the wall. And his look and his eyes are big and he's playing faster. And King Saul is sitting there looking at him. David says, what happened? He says, nah. He's playing the harp. And King Saul says, I missed that, I won't miss it again. He slings another spear at him, throws another spear at him a second time. He ducks again, twice. And it takes him 14 years. Some say seven, some say up to possibly 15. How do I know this? Because the Bible says when he became king, he was 30 years old. Second Samuel, David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years, and it was about 17 years when he became uh, anointed as king, or 14 or 17. It could be anywhere between 7 and 14 years That he had to run for his life. He's anointed king, David. And for 14 years, he has to duck spears. He has to run for his life. God said, you will be king. And all he has for 14 years is duck. Hiding in caves. Because God wants to make him a king. Little by little, God is getting you there. And we think that why would God do that? Because the first King built a statue to himself. The first King didn't realize that God was his source. And so God said, not with David, this is not going to be the same way. I'll tell you now where I'm taking you, but I'm going to work it out slowly, little by little, by the time you are King, you'll be there and your heart will be in the right place. He did the same with Joshua, Uh, Joseph, not Joshua, you know, Joseph. God says, I'll have your brothers bow down before you. Then he put him in a pit. So if God gives you a prophecy of how amazing you'll be, if you're 23 and all you know is YouTube and you've been in no pit, it's not God, it's Satan. Because Joseph, when he had a promise of God, he went to a pit. He learned to be quiet first. And when he went to a pit, he went to Potiphar's house and he realized I shouldn't be too smart too. This is not theological points, but he learned a couple of lessons. And after that, he got put in the prison and he asked for other people to speak on his behalf and all of them forgot him. And through all this process, God was working in his heart. And one day when his brother stood in front of him and he could kill them, his heart was already soft because what God was working little by little, one fight to the next, I'm rushing. So he throws a spear. So David runs away and he hides he 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 ends up in in, in the, uh, with king ashish ashish i don't know how to pronounce his name which is the king of the philistines and so the king comes towards him and he says oh snap this king's going to kill me and as he's hiding away he pretends to be a loony he 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 scratches the gate it's in i'm going to read it to you you think i'm lying it's in first uh, where is it? Samuel 12, David at Gath. David fled from Saul and went to Ashish, king of Gath. But the servants of Azish said to him, isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one by they sing about in their dances? And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Ashish, the king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door and the gate, letting saliva run down his beard. This is King David, who God said, I'm gonna make king of Israel. And he's acting a madman. There's a lot of us running down. King Asish looks at him and says, "What? what? The king of the Philistines. Watch what he says. As she says to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Why do you bring this madman to me? So David stays there. And if you read the story, this is where David gets more men. About 400 men begins to form around David. And the men that forms around him is outcast and rejected. See if you can find that in that scripture. Put it on the screen. The 400 men that are outcast. David doesn't find the choicest men that are princes of nations that God puts around him. He finds outcasts. Have You got it? Is it there? No, it's not there. They're not finding it. I think it's the same place. Here's the point. He acts a madman. Then David, he gets away from them. He ends up in a cave in Abdullah. Abdullah, I don't know where. He ends up in a cave. Now Saul comes with his men, finds out David is there. 3,000 men are chasing David. Saul needs to go to the loo. It's what the Bible says. He needs to go into the cave to relieve himself. And as he sits down to relieve himself, it's not a number one. Just saying. David can kill him, but David's character is formed in him. If David killed Saul, he would have been disqualified. And he says, touch not God's anointed. God's anointed has a demon. You can read this. Watch. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me. Watch, 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 watch. Saul has a demon. He is trying to kill the man that God anointed king. And David doesn't go onto YouTube and say, (inaudible) It's no funny, David will me. He says, I cannot touch him. It's God's anointed. God will either kill him or he'll kill himself or he'll die in battle. I don't know how to, but it's not going to be me that touches God's anointed. And he wasn't, he was God's ex anointed. God ripped the kingdom from him. But David said, it's not within my purview of responsibility. That's God's anointed. And he doesn't care. And, and for 17 years, 14 years, he runs away. He ends up again, back with the Philistines. And the Philistines gives David a country to stay in, a land to stay in. And while he stays in the Philistine land, the Philistine king thinks he's on his side. And while David sneaks out the back, kills Philistines, comes back and go like, yeah, no, I went to raid Israel. He wasn't, he was lying. But God was still with him. I'm telling you, I'm telling you the story. To tell you, your life will be full of battles. You think you'll fight to find a girlfriend. You'll fight to keep her. Then you'll marry that girlfriend or that boyfriend, and then you'll fight to make that marriage work. Then you'll have children. Then you'll fight to teach them maths. (laughs) Then you'll fight to keep them on the road and you'll fight and you'll pray for them at night. And When you walk into their rooms, you will put your hand on their heads and they'll be sleeping and you'll pray, Jesus. (laughs) Help us raise them well, bless them, keep wrong hands off of their lives and you'll You'll be the one that sneaks into the movies and sits at the back when they watch a movie. Keep an eye on them with their boyfriends. I'll make you a promise now, I'll always be there. <laughs> yeah, you think you can hold his hand? I'll be holding the other hand on the other side. You think you won't have battles in your life, you'll have battles. You'll, you'll want to be better than you are and you'll fight friends and you be. And you'll fight that battles in your mind and you'll fight one fight after the fight, but what you won't realize is that every fight you fight is little by little. And everything God gives you a victory over might take years. It's little by little. I'm standing here 25 years later. I'm still fighting battles. We're still fighting issues. We're still fighting through struggles. But God is faithful and is forming character. And now when I look at people, my heart really breaks for them. It doesn't break because I want them to be in the church because I want numbers. It breaks because I see God's heart. The same heart he had for me. I want to see him show them that heart. God is forming character in us. He's removing criticism from us. He's removing issues from us. He's helping us be better and more like him. Remember this. There will be a lot of fights. But if you trust Jesus, David, I'm not finishing the story, but David went back before he attacked the Philistines. He asked God, should I, I think it's in chapter 22 or 24, should I pursue them? God says, pursue them. Then he inquired of the Lord again. Should I pursue them? God said, pursue them. He asked the Lord while he was king of Israel, should I, should I, should I, should I? Every battle, he pulled God into the fight. He said, God, I have a fight. I need your advice. I need you to speak to me. We need him. Little by little. Little by little. We're moving forward. Stand on your feet. Worship team, come.